Listener Production. Protein shakes. What are you actually putting in your body? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is the Science Briefing. When you exercise, go for a run, or hop on the bench press, you're damaging your muscles. To repair them, you need protein, which won't just patch up your muscles, but will make them bigger and stronger. Protein powders have become the norm, a quick protein boost to help you reach your fitness goals even faster. But today, I ask Cosmos Magazine journalist Matthew Aegis, are protein powders really all they're cracked up to be? So Matt... I can understand why athletes would use protein powders. Their bodies are under a lot of physical stress and they need a quick fix to help them recover faster. But everyday people's bodies aren't typically exposed to the same conditions. So why would you or I use them? Same reasons, really. So for better performance in the gym or with any other form of exercise, some people do it for aesthetic purposes, so to bulk up and look huge. (laughs) and also for athletes using them as a meal supplement. Now, that being said, most people will or should get what they need in terms of protein and other macronutrients like fats and carbs from their diet. But if they're not, a protein shake can jump in and increase that protein intake. It seems like protein powders are really seen as a staple if you want to bulk up, right? Or if you want to see real results at the gym or however you're working out. Good point. I guess the image that you have when you think about this is that there's a guy, he's just worked out, he's covered in sweat and he's sitting on a bench and he's just like reclining that protein shake mixer into his mouth and he's going to get huge because he's already huge. So that must be what happens. His arms are as big as his face. That's right. Just massive. That's how these products are marketed. But there's actually a bit of science to this as well. The Australian Institute of Sport recommends 1.2 to 1.6 grams of protein per kilo of body weight every day for its athletes that are doing heavy training. We're probably talking hours of rigorous training at the highest level of performance. You know, I want to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games type performance. Yeah. Some people in the gym might go by this metric as well. Australia's dietary guidelines recommend 0.84 of a gram of protein for men per kilo of body weight and 0.75 for women up to the age of 70. Once you clear 70, you need a little bit more protein. Okay. That's not a whole lot of difference when you think about it between the elite athlete and the average male in this case. So between, you know, me versus guy that's trying to win gold, uh, (laughs) it's about 100 grams worth of steak difference in terms of our daily intake, which actually isn't a lot. No. To help reach these targets, protein powders and shakes are seen as incredibly useful and an easy way to help get there. But we do know that it's not just athletes chugging down these protein shakes. The protein powder industry itself has continued to boom. And last year, some indications put the industry at round about the value of 20 billion US dollars globally. Matt, that is absolutely massive. So let's get into exactly what's in protein powder. Is there any special source in them that actually warrants a 20 billion dollar industry? Not a whole lot really. It's essentially 
dehydrated milk extract, mm. which doesn't sound, you know, super appetizing. But there is a decent amount of technology that goes into making these powders. So with most protein powders, or at least what we might call a whey powder, what they do is take whey, which is the liquid byproduct from cheese production, and concentrate the protein part. And whey is what Little Miss Muffet eats, right? <laughs> uh, correct. It is Little Miss Muffet sat on top of it and goes away. On came a spider, sat down beside her, something away. <laughs> right, Miss Muffet away. Now do it. Little Miss Muffet was trying to get huge. That's what I heard. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though, the whey is then pressed through a series of filter membranes, and that removes most of the water, and then this gives them about 80% protein plus some fat and sugar from the milk. And this is what we call whey concentrate proteins. But you may have also seen in the health food aisle of the supermarket or at the health food shop where you buy the protein powder, something called whey isolate protein powder. And this is basically the next level. They concentrate the whey even further and typically give you about 90% protein at the end of that process. Then what they do is they mix the whey with things like preservatives, thickeners, emulsifiers, which are basically molecules that help mix everything together, sugars, artificial sweeteners, and of course, a bit of flavoring to make it taste good. Because everyone wants it to taste good, that's for sure. That being said, there are a few things that scientists and dietitians raise in terms of concerns about protein powders that you might not know. Right. So what are some of the unknowns when it comes to protein powders? Well, I think the best one for me is a bit of a myth debunker. There's this common belief that you need to have protein immediately or very shortly after a workout. But the science around that's a bit mixed. So basically, at the moment, a lot of nutrition and dietary science professionals are finding that maybe as long as you hit the requirement for protein at some point during the day, you don't need that big hit straight after benching 100 kilos, Sophie. Good to know. Which I know that you can do. 100%. There probably needs to be a bit more research on that though. But another thing is that some people take too much. They protein overload, as it were. Excess protein or protein that isn't used by the body at all continues to travel around our body waiting to be used somewhere. And that's not just in muscle because we need protein. We need amino acid to do other things. We need to synthesize functional proteins so that we can, you know, be alive. Eventually, anything that doesn't get used breaks down into glucose, sugar. And like other sugars, the ones that your body doesn't use ends up getting stored. And that means that it needs to be stored as fat. Uh Uh-oh which is probably not what you want or what you're expecting when you're just, you know, knocking back protein shakes all the time. And that is certainly one of the jokes that, you know, protein powders could just create expensive wee. Expensive wee? What what do you mean by that? I create such cheap wee. Why would you need expensive (laughs) wee? You probably do. You probably do. Um, And as I say, it's a joke that sometimes, you know, you hear made about, you know, people that take all these supplements, they're just making expensive wee. Anything that you don't use in terms of vitamins and minerals is what gets peed out. And at the end of the day, whatever you put into your body, whether it's a supplement or whether it's a food product or a beverage, what it doesn't use ends up coming out in your urine, getting stored as fat. And protein powders are included in that. They're expensive. Yeah, what a waste. Such (laughs) expensive wee. Terrible. Mm. Expensive wee aside... There have been other studies and reports about dangerous chemicals within certain supplements, not just protein powders. Now, most of these studies are coming out of the United States, 
And over the last decade, the studies of certain supplements have detected the presence of heavy metals in some of these protein powders. So things like lead, cadmium, mercury, even arsenic. Um, Matt, like I'm no chemist, but that sounds terrible. It's not great. It's not great to read that. And it may only be trace amounts. Right. But it's still there. It's still being detected. Other studies have found certain pesticide-like chemicals. Oh, and BPA, which we know is used to make plastic. and Yes, it is. <laughs> increasingly, we see that, you know, there are detections of microplastics within humans. So that other contaminants, some of which might be linked to things like cancer um, and other health conditions have been found as well. Some toxins were found in significant quantities. So the Clean Label Project, which is a not-for-profit from the US, which reports on toxins and contaminants, found that one particular protein powder that they tested contained 25 times the allowed limit of BPA, which is substantial. So don't the manufacturers test for this stuff, Matt? Good question. The interesting thing here is that protein powders are typically regulated as food products. This is different to say how we regulate therapeutics or drugs. Basically, we regulate protein powders in the same way that we do any food product that might be made en masse on a conveyor belt. It's much harder to scrutinize exactly what's going into them. But some companies uh, who do sell these products undertake what is called batch testing to verify the quality of the product. And particularly for athletes, that does provide some assurance because what they're also hoping is that they don't contain banned substances. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, a banned product in your blood or urine sample is probably not going to be particularly conducive to you winning a medal at the Olympics. Certainly, though, there are, I guess, watchdogs like the Clean Label Project in the US who are looking at what goes into these products and trying to make sure that there is some degree of quality control and consumer confidence there as well. So, Matt, not super comforting to learn that some protein powders contain things like arsenic, even if in trace amounts. So at the end of the day, what is the scientific advice around protein powders? Should we drink them? Shouldn't we? What's the go here? The main advice from most scientists and dietitians is that protein shakes, protein powders and those sorts of supplements can be useful. They might help you achieve a goal. But at the end of the day, you should be trying to get all of your protein from food, from your balanced diet that we have been told since we're kids is an important thing. And this is not just limited to average humans. The sports dietitians that work with elite athletes at the highest level give this exact same advice. Vegans and vegetarians have a little bit more work to do in this space. So there's no one product apart from maybe tofu or edamame, soy products, that sort of thing, which give what's called that complete protein. They might have a protein shake every now and then that is an option that can at least help top up that protein profile. But protein shakes don't give you the benefits of a balanced meal. It doesn't provide you all the forms of nutrition you should be getting as part of your diet, things like iron, essential fatty acids, vitamins and minerals. And as I say, at the end of the day, performance dietitians themselves say, food first. Matthew Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Matt's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. 
The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. Thank you.